and welcome to Fashion Talks, a podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion from CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I'm here with two fantastic guests, Lisa Tant, former editor-in-chief of Flair Magazine, luxury retail executive and creative communications consultant. You can learn more about Lisa's deep experience in fashion and retail at lisatant.com. Hi, Lisa. Hi, glad to be here. This is exciting. I'm so excited to have you guys here. And with Lisa is Glenn Baxter. Glenn is a media personality, a brand ambassador, a photographer, a weekly contributor to the French CBC's morning radio show. He's a bilingual journalist who has interviewed countless A-list celebrities and fashion heavyweights. And for 20 years, he was an on-air fixture on City TV and Much Music as an entertainment reporter and on CTV across Canada and around the world as the host of In Fashion. Thanks for being here, Glenn. Pleasure. Awesome. So today's subject, I appreciate, is a little bit of a beast, but I wanted to start us off with something that, you know, we could kind of dig in with some personal stories. So it's about when fashion changed my life. And I appreciate that this might not be a heavens opened hallelujah chorus kind of moment but I think I think when um, when we work in this industry there are moments that are kind of little wake-up calls or uh, instances when we feel like something has shifted in us and I'm wondering if we can start with maybe some early memories that you might have maybe from childhood or earlier where that kind <laughs> of resonates my, my damaged childhood <laughs> no you know when when you're the youngest of three girls and you get everybody's hand-me-downs I remember when my mom tried to pass off some purple velvet knickers like actual knickers and they had like a, a little button and a cuff at the knee oh, and, you brought and, them and she <laughs> said to me yeah I'm wearing them today but, and, and she said to me you know these are these are your sisters your oldest sisters and I said I'm not wearing those she said they're perfectly good you're wearing them you know we, we didn't come from money and trust me I did not wear those purple velvet knickers they're perfectly good so, is so the I phrase of death when you don't want to wear something so I don't know if that kind of damaged me but as soon as I got into um, high school and a sewing class where none of my friends were and I was bored, I actually paid attention and I started making all my own clothes, which meant that no one else had worn them. Even now, mm -hmm. I won't wear vintage. Mm -hmm. The fact that somebody else has worn my clothes grosses me <laughs> out. <laughs> so that's my earliest memory. <laughs> and what about you, Glenn? I was trying to think of, uh, of early fashion memories and um, I'm reminded through old photographs, old pictures mm -hmm. of growing up in Montreal and primarily being dressed by my French-Acadian mother <laughs> who seemed to like uh, thick corduroy with bold stripes. Um, who and, knew? You know, yeah, who knew? Yeah. And with my flaming red hair, it's, uh, you know, it makes for <laughs> wonderful images. Awesome photographs. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then later, I think uh, I kind of uh, played, I played a lot of sports. And, and I think the uniform was a form of fashion that I kind of noticed, uh, whether it was baseball or, or uh, especially basketball with the warm-up, you know, pants and the, you know, the top and all that. And you're playing other teams from, from you know, from North America. And you're kind of checking out what the other team's wearing. And all. Um, as far as fashion the I guess the, the 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 big moment I had is when I signed a clothing cl contract with Hugo Boss ah. that lasted 20 years and yeah. it was exclusive and it was one, one of the most envied uh, clothing contracts in Canadian yeah, broadcasting that's really history. awesome that was life-changing yeah 
and, and, and it gave me uh, an education that I, I don't think I could have gotten uh, any other way. And, and going to New York Fashion Week, getting dressed by uh, the, the head designer of Hugo, their you know, red label, their fashion forward label, this, this German guy named Wachner who chain smoked Marlboro Lights. <laughs> and we're going to dress you this in layers this season. And, and you know, just to getting that, that, that education, that appreciation of, of fashion, of amazing uh, clothes for men, that, that for me was, was the turning point. And how were they educating you? Like, were they talking? Talking about shape and fit oh, and yeah. textile. I mean, I, I learned the language because this was in 1991 when I was an on-air reporter and host on Much Music covering entertainment. Uh, so I wasn't a fashion guy, and but I started to learn the language, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the fabrics and the, how important fit was, and you know, all, all these uh, different terminology that I wasn't aware of. You know, I just. <laughs> I thought, and and for for menswear, fit is everything, and yeah. and I learned a, an appreciation for uh, for good tailoring. That's so important, the tailoring and how you feel in it when you're wearing something well tailored is Oh, for, for menswear, it's the most important thing. I mean, a guy who wears a $400 suit that is that is fitted is going to look a lot better than someone who's wearing a three, four, five thousand $5,000 suit that looks sloppy and, and uh, you know, and, and, and not put together, not, not uh, tailored. Right. Yeah. Does that resonate with you, Lisa? Like the idea of you know the seeing the other side as Glenn's getting dressed by Wagner and the chain smoking and kind of seeing the business side. And the of espressos. Things. Oh, the espressos. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been fortunate in that I have had a real 360 vision of the fashion industry. As an editor, I was absolutely focused on what was new, what was going on in the front row. And then as a luxury retailer with Holt Renfrew, going into the showrooms, talking to the designers about what would sell in Canada and what wouldn't, Mm -hmm. and why they made certain decisions, why the prices had all of a sudden skyrocketed, and what the business decisions were behind that. And I found that fascinating. So the last few times I went to Paris Fashion Week, I wasn't all that interested in the fashion show, which would sound really strange for someone who used to covet every invitation they got. I was I really wanted to get behind the scenes and see, well, what is Ricardo Tisci doing for Givenchy? And why is the why are the samples the way they are? So I feel fortunate that I have that very good understanding of the whole circle that also relates to the consumer. Because right. whether you're a magazine editor or you're working retail the final customer, they buy with their dollars. They vote with their dollars. And so I find that that to me is someone who's successful in this business when they are always crystal, crystal clear that it's not about them. It's about the final consumer of the goods. It is a business. It is It 100%. is absolutely a business. It is absolutely a business. Was there a moment for you when you uh, kind of walked through the door of realizing what a business it was? Yeah, for me it was it was a really it was one of those aha moments. I had been invited to go to Europe for Paris Fashion Week when I lived in Vancouver. So I was a journalist for the Vancouver Sun, for a number of for Flair, for a number of good magazines and I was uh it was my first opportunity to go to Europe and I remember sitting at the Christian Dior show, I almost peed my Club Monaco (laughs) pants. And I realized as I looked around and saw these editors from all over the world, um, the supermodel era, that was when you had Linda, Christy, Naomi, they were on the catwalk. And it went from me being, you know, living in a small town like Vancouver where 
fashion was was considered more of a hobby or fun and no one wanted to pay for anything and I'll trade you this jacket for a press writing a press release to this is big business mm. this is very very serious and it makes a lot of money and that that clicked in me something that I thought wow I need to move to a bigger center and figure out how I can make this work because I love the business of it yeah and it's life-changing I think to go to one of the fashion capitals to go to Milan Paris Mm -hmm. London or New York Mm -hmm. especially for the first time because that's when you notice that a you're very privileged to be there amongst all these people because it's not open to the public Mm -hmm. it's one of the most exclusive events on earth well it has been for for Mm -hmm. decades uh, where it's just uh, VIPs and celebrities uh, retailers who are there to look at the collections and to do business and um and members of the media, media mm-hmm. from all over the world, the top fashion journalists are, are sitting in the, in the front rows. And that that's so different than, I think, most fashion weeks around the world, which tend to be more of a social gathering, a social yeah. outing for the city. The city's elite and, and those interested in fashion and artists and so on gather to uh, watch a spectacle on a runway. Uh, and it's a great thing. And I'm not knocking it in any, any mm-hmm. way. I mean, I love I love fashion weeks all over the world. But when you go to one of the fashion capitals, that's where you see, okay, this is a business and it's serious business. Absolutely. Nobody's here to play around. It's not just entertainment. They are here to do work and they are serious about their work. Mm The democratization of the runway show, I'm resisting not getting into right now so we can save it that's, for, that's another another podcast. for another podcast. <laughs> um, a memory I have about fashion is I grew up in Orangeville, and in grade seven, I was going to school. Orange is the new black. Oh, it was, no, it was not <laughs> there. Not no, resist. it was is and the new. Okay, terrible. Um, <laughs> but I had a pair of cougar boots. And when I went to when I went to school, no one else was wearing cougar boots, mm. and I was mortified. And it was this moment of realizing that I was not included mm. somehow, mm. and that fashion my fashion choice was making me vulnerable. I had the wrong flag on my jeans, and when <laughs> I say flag, it was maybe two centimeters by one centimeter on the side of my hip, and it was the <laughs> wrong colors. And that was, I was in grade eight. I was shunned. Mm. I, I, growing up in Montreal, I mean, fashion was, was so important, so part of the lifestyle. Um, I remember I, I hung out with, with a group of people who took it, you know, quite seriously. And one of my, um, you know, best friends from high school moved from, from Montreal to Calgary at the time. And, uh, um, and she was going to high school there. And she said, you know, every time I would go to my locker, there'd be three or four people standing there. And this happened every morning. And then finally I said, you know, can I help you? Like, what's going on? And they all looked at, oh, we just wanted to see what you would wear today. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, a fashionista from growing up, a a francophone fashionista from Montreal, you know, going out west to Calgary and where I think it was a little little different. But, but, you know, like for for a Montrealer growing up, it's like you go shopping on Saturday and then you wear what you bought, uh, you know, that night, that weekend, and and it's part of the lifestyle. It's such a paradox for the industry, I think, in many ways, though, because I think fashion is often thought to be this, like, expression, you know, be yourself, uh, you know, anything goes. And yet, it can have this two-facedness element to mm-hmm. it. Is that does that resonate even professionally with either one of you? Like, does that permeate into the industry? 
um, like like in which way? Like uh, two-facedness? Uh, like in, in that judgmental kind of way. Like even when you're on an insider, like when you work in the industry, mm. is there still that yeah. sense of I mean, people I'm wearing the wrong do boots. dismiss it or they think it's shallow. But I mean, fashion is a great uh, form of self-expression. It reveals about, uh, you know, about who you are and what you're all about. And it's the easiest way we can uh, we can create and we can you know, we can express ourselves. Um, and, and, you know, if you take it to another level, we were talking about Paris Fashion Week with, with Lisa's experience. I mean, it, it is not a, a shallow industry. Some of the most intellectual, uh, you know, some of the most uh, smart, um, intelligent people, most well-read, the most well-informed I've ever met work in the fashion industry. And it's not just designers. It's also the, the photographers. And, I mean, you've got some, some top people who inhabit that industry. That that's so true. There, there's it's such a wonderful form of self-expression. It's also a grown-up version of Mean Girls at high school. <laughs> I have found it to be really difficult at certain times in my career, and I have met some of the loveliest, most exciting, mm. wonderful people, and I have also met people who um, are very nasty mm. and very judgmental. Do we have sound effects and in this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> the part where you go like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and really, really yeah. tough. And I have a, such an interesting example that I came across uh, yesterday, actually. So on one hand, um, when Flair, Flair Magazine, when I was there, we featured Lady Gaga on her first North American fashion magazine cover. Amazing. Like, not music, but yeah. fashion. And the cover line was, fashion saved my life. And so she spoke about how fashion allowed her as someone who had all kinds of insecurities to really create a platform for good and to have her fans follow her and meat dresses and eggs followed and 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 that was so positive for her. And then on the flip side, yesterday I saw a photo of Victoria Beckham whom I've interviewed several times saying fashion stole my smile. And I had asked her once. I said, "You know, Victoria, in person you're so much fun and she's lovely and she laughs and she's like talking to your best girlfriend from high school I said but you never smile in photos and our readers think that you're a bitch and she's like you know what I know and she said but I don't like my smile she said I've been told that my smile isn't very attractive and it's quite strained and she said and I've been bullied so much about my background but my smile she says that I don't smile so when I saw that t-shirt fashion stole my <laughs> smile I thought you know good on you for putting it out there but on the flip side how heartbreaking it breaks my heart heartbreaking because as a beautiful young woman being told well you have an ugly smile and being picked on especially you know. now in the age of social media oh, oh everything yeah. is under a microscope but she can handle it well because yeah. you on social media what i love about it is you can control it you can control your messaging but i'm so relieved that when I first became editor-in-chief at Flair magazine, that there was no social media because the, the level of um, vitriol and just yeah. nastiness yeah. that, you know, I heard about myself. You know, here I'm so excited, and then you hear, oh, she doesn't dress this way. She's not cool. Mm. And it wears you down. So it's like I'd, I'd said to you the other day, Donna, I have developed a very, very thick skin about this I drink I, I drink vodka <laughs> I have a thick skin and I, and I think that um, it's something that happens a lot and we don't talk about it but it's a it can be an industry of bullies 
And when someone like Victoria Beckham posts on her Instagram, and she is followed by everybody, mm-hmm. yeah. I really, I really admired that, and I loved that she put it out there. It's a that was a very, I think, honest and courageous yeah. thing for her. To but say. she's really good at poking fun of herself. But this one, I thought, was she was poking back, and I thought, good on you. I want to get one of those. <laughs> you know? Seriously. Does that resonate with you, Glenn? Have you, you know, kind as of a redhead, I was picked <laughs> yes. on many times growing up. Yeah. Freckle face in French, they'd say tête de carotte. You know, <laughs> it was hurtful, but I got over it, and vodka helped. Both. Yeah, and in your in your days with Much and and with City, I mean, you've had the privilege of interviewing many people as well. Have any of them kind of shared like a, a fashion moment for them that has kind of stayed with you? Um, nothing comes to mind, um, but. You know, working for for a decade in in much music and city TV, we uh, you know kind of grew up professionally with music videos, which was uh, a great way to um, to see fashion from from all these different bands and artists and seeing it evolve. Um, as far I mean, I remember at in fashion we had a regular weekly segment in the show that we called Celebrity Style. Uh, working at 299 Queen West in, in the now the CTV Bell Media Building, uh, there were so many channels, so many shows being produced at the time. Lots of celebrities were coming in and out of the building. So we would talk to the, the, the PR uh, marketing agency and say, can we just get five minutes with so-and-so and just grab a spot and ask them all these different questions about, about fashion to describe their personal sense of style. Are there any fashion icons that you admire and, and so on? You know, a lot of them had clothing deals. A lot of them had their own uh, labels that they wanted to launch and we'd package together a two three minute video and that was a lot of fun that sounds very cool I mean the whole idea of celebrity becoming designer mm-hmm. and and I mean that's that's a whole nother podcast and you get amazing yeah. uh, comments from people that you thought would just dismiss fashion and you thought they'd have no interest in it and all of a sudden they are you know some of the the most interesting people with a lot to say about the industry you know like should their sense of style reflect the music they record and perform and they'd have in, incredible uh, answers to share and I, I really enjoyed that part of it that's one of the things that I personally love so much about fashion is the layers of meaning that you can communicate through clothes and one of my kind of like early memories I was sharing this with you Lisa is I grew up in a very Catholic household so we always sat at the front at church and I always made sure I was on the edge on the pew and I would as the women went up for communion I would watch their clothes and I would try and guess what height heel they were wearing based on their outfit and see if I was right and how I could read them and then I would start creating stories about what I thought they did and maybe where they were going afterwards and that's still something I do if I'm you know stuck on transit or something as I try and make up stories about the people around me based purely on what they're on what they're wearing because consciously and unconsciously Mm -hmm. I think we make meaningful choices when we put our clothes yeah. on in of the course. morning. Yeah. There, uh, t- another extreme, too, uh, I was fortunate to have a, a, a month off every year. And I took that month and I grabbed the backpack and I'd go to some remote part of Africa and Asia. And I was thinking about this. I mean, I went to, to Ethiopia in 2000. That's 17 years ago. A lot of people now are traveling through that country. But in 2000, I was just throwing myself in there for a month. And I remember uh, traveling in the south of Addis Ababa, which is you know very rural and tribal. And I looked out the window and I saw about 20 uh, members of obviously a a tribe that were walking down a hill in single file and they were all wearing a polyester blue soccer jersey that was obviously (gasps) donated from North America or somewhere in Europe and I thought okay well these people 
don't know this thing called fashion. What is the fashion industry? What? You buy clothes and then after a few more months you buy new clothes and there's new trends and you keep changing and you know these people wore what they had which was this navy blue soccer jersey from I don't know from 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 <laughs> some part in the states or Canada that yeah. was that was donated to them. Like it's a it's a pretty strange and crazy industry when when you think about it. We don't just dress to keep warm or to to survive. Mm -hmm. Uh we dress to right express ourselves and Definitely. and uh i don't know like it's a pretty privileged thing it is right like yeah. my my sister-in-law is from moldova and the idea of dressing for anything other than necessity she absolutely does mm -hmm. not understand yeah. i mean uh, fashion is the second biggest polluter in the world next to i guess oil and petrol mm -hmm. right uh, we uh, what is it uh, evan bedell presented a really good yeah. mm -hmm. uh, fashion show um, a, a few weeks ago in toronto and he had a challenge which was the 81 pounds challenge because 81 pounds apparently is what the average north american throws out every year Right, something like isn't that crazy? It is. It is crazy. Twenty uh, eighty-one pounds of clothing uh, individually gets thrown and, and ends up in a landfill. So there's so much, so much waste. And hopefully, we're going to start, uh, and especially fast fashion and, mm -hmm. and how you know fashion is so rapid now. We just keep buying. I think if we bought less and bought better, we'd be better off. Well, I'm on and your I, team and there. Yeah, and I think uh, you know uh, we're becoming more and more aware. Sarah J., who unfortunately couldn't be with us today because she needed to be on set, she was sharing with me that the moment that changed her life as it relates to fashion was when she realized just how many people went into the creation of mm. a garment True. and yeah. how mm -hmm. many lives that touches. Yep. And, and, and jobs that it creates as well, right? Oh, it's Definitely. a huge job. I think in job. Toronto alone, uh, 50,000 altogether, uh, retail and, and so on, um, revolve around the fashion industry. Um, and I mean, that's an important thing. And uh, a lot of people, I guess, don't think about it uh, in those terms. It's totally true. And that'll be a yet another podcast, uh, another podcast <laughs> that yep. we will touch on. But getting back to the idea of fashion and storytelling, that must be something that was in your mind as you talked as when you were working at Flair, Lisa, and just watching, you know, it's what was what I've always mm -hmm. been interested mm -hmm. in, you know, after a while, the seasonal trend reports are like, yeah, okay, whatever. Green is in, pink is in, blue is, you know. I, I'm not terribly interested in that. I'm interested in the story behind it. So sitting down with somebody like Karl Lagerfeld and talking to him and seeing how his mind ricochets off the walls, um, talking to a top model who, you know, it's her first time out of her home country and now she's on magazine covers. I am fascinated by the story behind the scene more so than what's on the runway I, I was so lucky one year is I was invited to the Chanel Couture Studios the night before the show and they said just come and hang out for a couple of hours so I sat with the seamstresses watched what they were making chatted with Karl Lagerfeld while he was doing some of the fittings was there with the models when they came in to get their photographs taken and that to me was so, so, so much more interesting than the couture show the next day, you know, that Elton John, Martha Stewart, and Cher were at. <laughs> no! You know, like it was. I've it heard was, of them. It was super cool, but it was, it was, it was watching these me cool. women. Oh, yeah, I was black and blue. It was watching these women hand stitching the night before and wanting it to be so perfect. And there was the French, um, the French team was in the, the soccer finals, sorry, World Cup, I think it was. Forgive me if I've got the wrong <laughs> name. But how they were rooting for their favorite team, but also stitching because Monsieur Lagerfeld mm. was downstairs, and and it was 
that was cool to me. That would be amazing. Yeah, it was and, a great experience. And, and Mr. Lagerfeld clearly had a vision and a story that he was trying to communicate through the collection. Oh, he always as well. does. And, he, and he's one of the most fascinating people to interview because nothing gets by him. And he is completely unfiltered. A lot of the things he has said to me, I wouldn't dare print because I don't think Chanel would ever invite me out again. Um, but I, I just like that he's so eccentric and he's such an interesting, interesting person. He's the reason people like him are the reason why I like to tell yeah, the stories. I can totally, totally relate with that. It is the only reason why after the cancellation of fashion television and the show that I hosted in fashion five years ago that... I didn't walk away from the fashion industry. Uh, there may have been other ways for me to earn a living, but it's the people, the eccentric, mm -hmm. colorful people that inhabit that industry and the friendships that you make. It creates bonds, and it's all about storytelling as well. Yeah. Whether I take my camera to Africa for for a photo, an upcoming photo show, it's it's telling people's story. And I and I remember the first time I also um, met and interviewed Karl Lagerfeld. I almost passed out. Yeah. My knees buckled. It was backstage at Fendi in 2005 when I first covered Milan Fashion Week. And I had been working, you know, at City TV and Much Music for the longest time, interviewing A-list celebrities and rock stars and so on. Uh, but there's one Karl Lagerfeld. Yeah. There's lots of actors that get, you know, Oscars in, 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 in Hollywood or rock stars that get Grammys and fill stadiums. But there's one Karl Lagerfeld who is not only at the top of the fashion industry with everything that he does, but he's such an iconic figure. There's yes. nobody like him. Like he walked in there and I, I was like, <laughs> I couldn't breathe. All the energy goes out of the room. Yeah, I can and he only imagine that room. And I remember saying, um, you know, the the Chanel PR people were saying, "Okay, like enough, enough. You've, you've had <laughs> enough time." And he grabbed my arm and he said, "Sit still." <laughs> I'm. He says, "Ignore them. I always do." Because he was enjoying our conversation, yeah. and I nobody was just tells thinking, Carl what <laughs> nobody tells no, Carl nobody what to tells do. Carl and isn't it what amazing that it took him 82 years to finally set foot in Canada? Right, a couple, yeah, a couple, a couple of years. Ago. First, first yeah. time in Canada. But uh, that was a whirlwind. Yeah, he, yeah. he came to Toronto in April, uh, two years ago, to uh, promote a condo project that he was involved uh, with that's going to be at uh, Young and uh, south of Eglinton yeah. in Toronto. He was commissioned to design two lobbies and two condo towers. I think he was paid a couple of million dollars, which also included the promotion of the project. And I was there, and I've never seen Toronto's socialites and well-heeled crowd behave like tweens at a <laughs> One Direction concert. It yeah. was unbelievable. And I kept thinking, who else would uh, be able to, to, to cause this kind of commotion yes. with yeah. the these wealthy, well-to-do, uh, very polished, well-heeled people. Karl Lagerfeld. I, I couldn't really yeah, think he, of, of many other icon. people. Yeah. He's probably, he's definitely on the my top five list of people I've interviewed. Mm. That is so cool. Yeah. Well, there's such consideration. Like when you're talking about the the brilliant minds of the people in in the industry, like there's such specific mm. consideration. Like that's part of what I love is that nothing is by accident, right? Every season, yeah, and you know, with Fendi and Chanel and his, his fashion films and, and the marketing, and, yeah. and, and to be at, at the head of that industry, a multi-billion-dollar industry, year after year, season after season, and he's approaching the mid '80s and still on top. Well, it's his last show had a rocket ship in it, which which launched. <laughs> 
launched in the middle of the Grand Palais in In Paris. Paris. Like, you know, only Lagerfeld would also import a giant iceberg. (laughs) You know, his his shows and his experience. Mm. One of my favorite quotes of his was I was challenging him. It was after the iceberg collection where they literally shipped an iceberg to Paris. And I said to him, you know, why would you spend that kind of money? You have your critics. And he said, the money you throw out the window comes back through the door. So that's the value of promotion. And I'll often, when I'm talking to young designers, say, you have to do marketing and promotion. Keep in mind, what you throw out there will bring you the buzz and the PR to bring it back through the door. And I'll never forget when he said that to me. And I thought, sure, you know, that that makes absolute sense. That's amazing. I'm thinking too about when, as, as my mind is going about storytelling, that it's also such a part of film. And when yes. you're watching, you know, I think sometimes people take for granted the really specificness that goes into yes. fashion as it relates to film, especially period pieces. Like I've been watching The Crown. I can't wait mm. for season two to start. And just right. watching uh, Queen Elizabeth versus Princess Margaret's costumes. And yeah. Lisa, you were telling me a really yes. cool story about uh, well, W.E. Yeah, I, I saw W.E., which um, I think was, was it Wallace and Edward? Mm-hmm. It was um, at the film festival a couple of years ago. Madonna was mm-hmm. the director. And I sat down at dinner and she was sitting across the table from me. And I started, like right away, I didn't go into a fangirl thing. I actually could not move off my seat because I was just a puddle of nerves. She is like my number one icon. And so instead of, you know, paying her a lot of false flattery, I said to her, I noticed you had Cartier jewelry. You had this kind of clothing. And I started to quiz her on the elements of the film. And she instantly kind of lasered in on me. And she ignored everyone else around. And we had a 45 to hour long conversation about fashion and film that then went into her children and what she was doing and what her goals were. She was so devoted to every single little detail in that film. And it really showed to me, I thought it was a beautiful film in terms of the fashion accessories. I enjoyed the film. I think she got trashed just because it was Madonna trying to direct something and you should stick to music. Like the way people Mm. are judgmental and horrible about that kind of thing is just so disheartening. But I really admired her. She is a perfectionist. And when, you know, when it came time for her to leave, she, you know, said goodbye to everyone and she pointed at me and she said, I really like talking to you. (laughs) And my 16 year old, like a virgin, was like, woohoo! It was, that was one of the. The earth can open up and swallow me now. No, it was one of the highlights of of my life. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. What I'm really, you know, kind of thinking about as we're having this conversation is. You know, there are moments that might change your life, but it's the storytelling. Like, there are moments that keep you excited yeah. about fashion. And that's what I'm really kind of hearing is it, there are those kind of, like, plumes of um, energy and excitement that come from the people and the stories that keep fashion exciting. Yeah. And, and for, for, for journalists and, and magazine editors, I think also you share in the success of designers that you've helped along the way. Yeah, definitely. Um, Odessa from from the Globe and Mail wrote this great story that included some Canadian brands. And uh, at a recent Fashion Week, um, uh, one of the designers from Montreal, you know, was all excited about this feature. And I kind of pointed out to the one who wrote it, and he ran up to her and gave her a big hug. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Odessa is such a Well, when you're champion. there from the beginning, you know, Greta Constantine celebrated their 10th year in business last year, and they had a fashion show in Paris at Paris Fashion Week mm-hmm. last month. And when you're there from the beginning and you watch the growth and you mm-hmm. make sure you feature their clothing in the pages of your magazine or social media you're and things like it. that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it's a celebration of talent. And we have so much talent in this country. And it's how we can continue to tell those stories to further engage the average person who may not really yeah. think about Canadian We, we were fashion. at FGI earlier this week mm-hmm. uh, for a tribute to Robin Kay, the founder of mm-hmm. Toronto Fashion Week and the president of the Fashion Design Council of Canada, who was interviewed uh, by the iconic uh, Jeannie Becker. Mm-hmm. And Marilyn Brooks was there. And Marilyn Brooks is as one of uh, you know the 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 names in in early Canadian fashion. I mean, earlier it's you know maybe what eighties or yeah seventies eighties. <laughs> and uh, she, we started talking, and then all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, "Did you have a ponytail?" And I go, "Oh my God, I had a ponytail for like an, an, an one year." It was yeah. the, it, don't judge, don't judge. It was the early nineties. There's no judgment here. It was before my Hugo Boss clothing deal. <laughs> um, I had a whole makeover following that. But I went, yes. She goes, well, you used to interview me when, what was it, the matinee uh, uh, fashion festival in in Toronto? And and I do remember that, but I was, like, shocked that she remembered this ponytail dude, like, from, you know, what, 30 years ago or or what have you. And, and, you know, that you, it's all, again, about about friendships, about, you know, uh, sharing in someone's success and and career. And it's it's a big industry where there's all kinds of different moving parts and players, and, and we're all part of it. What would you say to to someone who's not involved in the fashion industry? They might not even, you know, maybe they don't even live in Toronto, but they're listening to us and they're thinking, I want like I want to be a part. I want to tell my story through through fashion. Like how how does someone start to to conjure to conjure that? Do you have any kind of I know I'm totally putting Gosh, you guys on the so spot. It's so easy with this. now. It's so easy. You know, when I started in this business, I had to beg and pray and hope that someone would publish something that I had done, whereas now you can start your own blog. Or you, podcast. Or podcast. <laughs> or, and then you can also be on Facebook and Instagram and all these many different social channels that you can start to build And because of these social channels, you can also be a photographer, a creative oh. director. You can, you know, do your own so fashion film simpler. and upload it onto to, to Instagram. Yeah. And you, Snapchat stories. Yeah. There's, yeah. right? You, you it's don't, so much easier you know, like than I, ever. I, every day I walk by on my way here and I, I, I look at like a hallway or a tunnel. I go, I can just see a model coming out here and we do this shot. And then, I mean, everything is, 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 is available and, mm-hmm. and you don't need a huge and technology is not yeah. expensive yeah. now. You you know, it's our phones are really good cameras yeah. and, and, you know, quick little videos. So I will say to people, start self-publishing. Get yourself out there. And and if you're good, the cream always rises. You know, I look at Tommy Ton, who is one of the world's most recognized street-style fashion photographers, which he has parlayed into a huge business. I used to buy well yeah. I used to buy him dinner in Paris because mm. I was worried he was going to starve. <laughs> and I wrote him letters, to, you know, a number of us did to get him into the shows and we we banded together and helped him from nothing, but he had the initiative, mm-hmm. the drive, and he has created a really fantastic career for himself. An international career for someone who's here from, from Canada. The bottom. Yeah. 
He started shooting shoes, didn't he? He, he was fascinated with the details. What what note? What I really noticed about Tommy when I first met him was he wanted to take my picture at an event at Hazelton Lanes. He didn't want to head to toe. He didn't want me to pose. He was focusing in on the Chanel handbag that I was carrying. And at the time, I was like, you know, what is this kid doing? Like, what's going on? And then he showed me the photo later and it was artistic and his composition and and he knew exactly what season it was from he was like this walking encyclopedia of fashion a kid who lived in oakville and helped out at a vintage store and and i thought okay this this kid's on to something and then he was like well i'd like to go to paris can you help me absolutely and now you know we kind of tease i'm like well hey tommy maybe you could buy me dinner Something I love about, um, you know, even for women and men who don't want to be involved in the industry, but I think it's, you know, pay attention to how you feel when you put on your clothes. Mm -hmm. Like just kind of take a pause and think, am I feeling good? Are my shoulders back? Do I feel like I can take on the world or do I feel like I want to go back to bed? And and it's funny because a lot has been said and written about uh, just the all-black outfit so that you don't spend any time or effort, uh, you know, uh, dressing in the morning. You know, successful people uh, uh, who have to get up and go, they don't want to spend too much time putting an outfit together, so they just wear the black uniform. But aren't they missing out a little bit? Like, I love getting dressed every day. I own a full-length mirror. It's got to all look good, you know, from head to toe. I don't know. I love getting dressed in the morning, I have to say. Do you like getting dressed in the morning, Lisa? Some days. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of getting dressed, I'm just going to wrap us up here with um, something that I'm ending all of the podcasts What with. are we going to wear at uh, the CAFAs this year? At the CAFA Awards? Oh, I don't know, I don't know. But if you, you know, extrapolating from the, if you could only watch one movie on your desert island, mm. climate and practicality notwithstanding, if you could only wear one outfit for the rest of your days well what for, would it be I'm, a, I'm a simple dude so just jeans and a t-shirt i'm a jeans and a t-shirt guy and on the other spectrum i love wearing a fitted suit and tie so it'd be one of the two my, can i have two you can have two thank you my absolute favorite outfit and i wore it yesterday and i will keep wearing it forever is a Dries Van Noten coat and Dries is my favorite designer he's Belgian and he is a master of pattern and texture and artistry and I wear these it's an expensive coat I have a couple of them I'm lucky wear them with beaten up jeans and some work boots and I get stopped by Mm -hmm. TTC drivers cab drivers you know wealthy ladies in the street where did you get that coat Mm -hmm. and when I put that coat on I just feel like I can take on anything. Mm. I think I would have to wear my line cashmere sweater. I just love the way cashmere feels on the skin and a pair of yoga jeans. Mm. There you go. Awesome. And that's Guys. what you'll be wearing at the cafes? Yeah. <laughs> yes, watch for me in cashmere and <laughs> denim at the cafes. Lisa and Glenn, thank you so much for the conversation today. It's been just wonderful having you guys here. Glenn, if people want to follow you on social, where can they find you? Uh, Glenn Baxter, T-O, G-L-E-N-B-A-X-T-E-R-T-O. 
And Lisa, where can people find you? At Lisa Tant, L-I-S-A-T-A-N-T. And I want to say very big thank you to our production coordinator today, Luke Nader, and our audio engineer, Christian Ryan. And of course, to CAFA. Uh, you can follow all of the latest at CAFA at, at CAFA Awards. That's C A F A W A R D S. And you can follow me at This Is Donna B. And if you enjoyed our episode today, please tell your friends. We love um, getting the word out there. And if you feel so inclined to give us a high five and rate us and review us on iTunes, that would be amazing. Until next time, this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks.